Well, good morning. How are you guys today? Yeah, good. Good. good to be here. Awesome. It is, it is good to be here. Now, you can't go a first snow day without reading Isaiah 118. You know, I, you know, I flung open the door when I saw it, and I was like, it's snowing. You know, I, I love this verse because it just, you know, it gives us a beautiful picture of of what God calls in one eighteen Isaiah one eighteen. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow, and though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. You know, I, God calls to all of humanity. You know, just like in the garden, Adam, where are you? God's an almighty being. He knew exactly where Adam was, right? But yet he calls. He calls out to all of humanity, where are you? you know, Isaiah goes on that all of us, and that's in 53, Isaiah 53, that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Yet he laid upon him, the suffering servant, who we'll see today in John, that laid on all our sin upon him. And Jesus was crushed because of our iniquity. And he's vicariously, I love that word. It's like, woo, it's like prodigious, you know, awesome, right? You know, vicarious. Uh, we're, me and Bryce substitute. We are vicarious people because we substitute, we stand in the place of another. And, you know, that's a good representation of what Jesus did for all. He stood in the place of us. Yes, yeah, yeah, better, yeah, it's a better, yeah, it's, <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, better, even better, even greater, stronger, you know, yeah, amen. You know, last week, we took some time to talk about identity, you know, John the Baptist, we took time to, to really talk about that, that we were given our identity in our creation, we we're given a new identity in our new creative a new creation mandate, and we have those things because we are formed and framed by Him. And then in Jesus, in Christ alone, we have new creation that is available to all because of that Lamb, the Lamb of God that we'll see today. You know, today, this week, I, I wanted to come and you know really talk about the subject of covering. You know, the old the old hymn asks a question: Are you washed by the blood of the Lamb? You know, are you covered is a question. Are you, are you able to come before the Lord? Because there is only one way. You know, Jesus himself says this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, in, a, in an age of, you know, your flavor is your your choice in, in whatever, in the versatile scheme of humanity, we don't like that. But yet God says, God has spoken. And this is his standard. He alone is the way to heaven, to the very dwelling place of God. He alone deals with truth, deals with us through truth, through what reality is. And he alone brings life while others as he says, the thief comes to steal and destroy, to bring death, destruction, and confusion. Jesus, the Messiah, is alone the one who can bring us before the Father. A Jude 
writes this at the end of his letter, right? When we went through that, I guess it was the summer, right? It's, you know, it was shining. Uh, but he says this, and, you know, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. We can stop right there and go potluck now, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like pause. Let's, um, you know, Jesus is the one who is able. He is the one that is able to keep us in this life and for all eternity, forever. He is able to present us blameless before the Almighty. And this is the joy of the Lord. You know, right there in verse 4 of Hebrews 12, maybe we should have read that one too, Toby. But he did it. He, did, he took the cross, despising the shame, for the joy set before him. To redeem his creation, to bring back all as 1 Corinthians Colossians, sorry, 1 Colossians 1.20 says, he brings redemption, he brings reconciliation by his blood. By his blood, he paid our debt. By his blood, we are washed. We can be washed by the blood of the Lamb. So today we behold, we behold the one, and we see the witness of John the Baptist that tells us this, that Jesus is the Son of God. So let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you. We thank you today that we can lift up our hallelujahs. We can lift up our praises and our prayers. We can lift up the fact that you say, in this life you will have trouble, you will have trials and tribulations, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines. Yet you... God, have overcome the world that we would take hope in your words and that we would behold you, Lord God. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now please turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John chapter 1. And we will continue where we left off last week and Verses 29 through, uh, yeah, 29 and 30, we'll start there. It says this, The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. So the day, you know, the text that we dealt with last week, the day before we had all of these questions, right? You know, the day before the priests and the Levites had come from Jerusalem to question John all about himself. And John says, I'm telling you of one that comes after me. You know, John the Baptist, that's the he who sees Jesus in this context, sees him coming towards him, sees the Lamb of God. You know, this is all of the mission and the identity that John has that we talked about last week. 
that I had come to say, make way a path for the Lord in the wilderness, right? And right here, John the Baptist gets to point right at Jesus and say, behold, perceive who this is. Gaze upon him. Now, some would say, uh, or at least a bumper sticker would say, that all religions teach the same thing. Hey, you know, a lot of people say that. Say what? Uh, yeah, Star Wars Magnet. Yeah, <laughs> that teaches something else. <laughs> but, you know, there's a, you know, a lot of people out there that say all religions teach the same thing. You know, do this, don't do that. Be a good person. You'll go to heaven. You know, that is someone that has only glanced at religion. You know, they haven't met the man Jesus. They haven't beheld this one who we must see clearly who he is and what he does because he changes everything. He changes it all. John says, look, the Lamb of God, a unique title with unquestionable meaning of who this man is. Here is the very purpose of Jesus. He is the Lamb of God. Mark says this in his gospel, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now he has come on a mission to seek and save the lost, to seek and save all of us. And to do that, Jesus comes as our ransom, as our sacrifice, as our substitute. We understand and know that all of us have fallen, fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we face death, which the wage paid for sin is that. We face death because of sin. So Jesus comes to take our place. And John the Baptist says, this is he who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this is the huge difference between every other religion and Christianity. Is that God does sit on the throne, right? We, we read that in Isaiah, that he's lofty and almighty and exalted, and he is eternal and infinite. And yet, he doesn't just do that. He comes. He comes to rescue humanity. Jesus dies in our place. He dies in the place of all sinners. Now, please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John 2. The 1 John 2, and we'll just read verse 2. John says this, he is the, man, propitiation, I can't, big words today, you know, I picked the good verses. He is the propitiation for our sin, that means covering, like an umbrella that we stand under, it protects us from the rain, this propitiation protects us from the wrath and death that is coming our way, and not of, of, only, of ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Now, Jesus is the covering for all sin. He takes away all sin, removing them as far as the east is from the west. Now, this is not universalism. The Bible doesn't teach 
universalism where everyone is saved, we're all good, we're all golden. No, there is a choice before all. There's a choice of either acceptance or rejection of who Jesus is. Bless you. You know, there is no other system, there is no other belief that brings us what the other old hymn calls blessed assurance. Now please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. chapter 11 and we'll just uh, see verses 11 and 12 but chapter 11 is a really good chapter to read on the facts of you know, whether or not the Old Testament system took away sin and chapter 11 verses 11 and 12 say this every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You know, if we look at the Old Testament sacrificial system and we see another religion, we are actually looking at it wrong. It was not another system. It is actually this, this light or this type that the Old Testament shows us. It's a pointer of man's inability to save himself. Inability to bridge the gap between man and God, where if you read the entire book of Leviticus, which is a great book to read, you see how much blood takes to even come before the Almighty for one thing. But this shows Christ Jesus' total ability to bridge the gap. He is the great substitute, the great or, right? <laughs> the greater substitute. He is able to bridge that gap. In a single sacrifice, he does that and then sits down at the right hand of majesty on high. There is nothing else to be done, only to trust the one who has made it so, to give us the blessed assurance that is available to all now John then repeats what we've seen even last week. He repeats what he has stated, that one who comes after him is very much, in fact, ranked before him. You know, not in age, because Jesus was actually younger than John. We know that from the Gospel of Luke. But in the fact that he was before him. He is the eternal one. Now back in John chapter 1, Verses 31 through 32, it states, states this. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. Now, whether it's the, <coughs> the History Channel, uh, CNN or Newsweek, I remember even growing up as a kid and, you know, during Easter time, you'd see a lot of those uh, different uh, articles or things on TV about, you know, about Jesus, about John the Baptist. You know, what was this all about? And I remember hearing once that, you know, John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. 
And, you know, if you take a closer look at that, what the Bible actually says is over in Luke chapter 1. If you want to turn there and your Bible's with me. But Luke chapter 1. And uh, in the King James Version, it is translated cousin. Uh, but every other translation says, says relative. So the angel says this. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age has conceived a son and in the sixth month and is in the sixth month with her who has been called barren. Now these are the words from the angel that yes, you know, Mary, the mother of Jesus and and Mary, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist are in fact related. You know, so John the Baptist and Jesus are, are related as well. You know, but they, you know, we don't know if they were cousins or not. You know, there's aunts, uncles, nephews, you know, it could, could be one of those relations. But we, we don't know, um, in fact, if, if they knew one another. You know, in this, you know, kind of looking through this in the Bible, what uh, Luke tells us is that John the Baptist was born in the hill country in the town of Judea. It actually never specifies in Luke whether or not what city he was born in. But he would have been in Judea. Jesus would have been in Galilee. And then it says this, that the child grew and became strong in spirit, and then he was in the wilderness till his day of public appearance to Israel. Yeah, we see, you know, maybe a truth here that John the Baptist is stating. You know, Bible commentaries are on the edge of like, well, you know, maybe they hung out together and played video games, but John didn't realize it. Like the rest of the family of Jesus didn't know, right? You know, or he in fact was in the wilderness, being prepared by the Lord, just like Paul is before his ministry. You know, but he, either way on that line, it's not a huge theological issue of, well, what's he saying here? You know, he didn't realize it or, hey, he didn't know his relative. So, you know, we might have a lot of cousins. Hey, I, I've never met you. Hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah. But here we see that John's purpose is clear. Now, John came to baptize with water. So, that the Lamb of God, the Messiah, would be revealed to Israel. This is the mission and the purpose of John the Baptist, to bear witness about him, to show who Jesus is, and to tell us of what he saw. And uh, he explains a little bit in John, but to see more of the context, you want to turn over to Matthew chapter 3 with me, and we'll read verses 13, yeah, 13 through 7 in chapter 3 of what he's referring here of when the Spirit descended upon Jesus. But in uh, verses 13, starting there, And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for this is, for fit, is fitting for us to fulfill righteousness. Then he consented, uh, consented. And when John, Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now this is what John the Baptist saw. 
You know, he saw the spirit coming down like a dove. Don't know what that looks like, but it's like a dove. So it's something heavenly. I love that in the biblical language. It's always like this, like that. We don't, we don't know exactly, but it's like this. And it rested upon Jesus and the father spoke. Now, this is whom I am well pleased with. This is my son. Now, he witnessed this. John witnessed this. He is a part of this scene, and yet he saw all of this. Now, he saw all of this, and he prepares a way for all to have the knowledge of salvation to come to all people. John points us to the Son to the anointed one, to the Messiah who came with power to do good and to heal all of those oppressed by the devil. Now the text continues in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 33 and 34 state this, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now John the Baptist tells us this is the mission of Jesus. Now the Gospels fix upon this mission, his purpose, his identity, who he is. Because these are the life-changing things that as you walk through the Gospels, you see that John points to Jesus because Jesus is the Savior of the world. The Spirit came down and remained upon him, rested upon him, because he is the one that will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. John says this of the Lamb of God, I have seen and I have borne witness that he is the Son of God. John saw that happen, right? And in Matthew, the Spirit came down and rested and the Father spoke. John tells us what he had witnessed, that Jesus, in fact, is the Son of God. Now, it's an amazing picture right there, the baptism of Jesus. It's a trinity, all together, just like at creation, just like in Genesis. They come to bring the new creation to man and to call us into it. Now please turn in your Bibles with me to John 10, John chapter 10. And here we see that Jesus and the Father are one. But 10, and we'll read verses 22 through 30. At the time of the Feast of Dedication, took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking into the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, 
and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now Jesus is in Jerusalem, and all these Jews come around him asking, stop keeping us in suspense. Tell us the end of the story, right? You know, give us, give us the answer. Are you the Christ or not? Tell us plainly. And Jesus says, I've, I've told you, and you do not believe. And Jesus says this, I, am, I and the Father are, are one. Now, he also says that he will give his followers eternal life. Right here and right now, Jesus clearly claims to know people's hearts, to know who follows him, to know who listens to his voice. And he also clearly claims divinity, not just once, but twice. You know, giving people eternal life is a God thing. And the Jews clearly understand this because in the next verse, starting in 31, they do this. The Jews picked up stones again. This was the second time, I believe, in the Gospels that they try and stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, made yourself God. They immediately saw it. You know, they immediately saw it. Because Jesus had claimed to be God. You know, it's an amazing thing throughout all four Gospels that the critics of Jesus and the demons that he exercises out of people clearly understand, oh, it's the Son of God. You know, the disciples kind of take a little while to get there. But it's an amazing thing that matter-of-factly, they know who he is. They know who he claims to be. He is God. Now, Jesus, in fact, is the one who comes to baptize us with the Holy Spirit to change everything. Now, Jesus talks about this promise in Acts chapter 1, if you want to turn there with me. But Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, state this. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard me from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. After the cross, Jesus presented himself alive. He spoke and he taught his followers for another 40 days. We don't see all of those, but we get glimpses of them in Luke and John. No, he talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit that will come upon the followers of Jesus, that this will happen. And a few verses down in, chat, in verse 8, he says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now Jesus says, wait. Wait for the promised one. And when that promised one comes, power comes with him. And the followers of Jesus will go throughout the world. We're still doing it. We're still fulfilling that. 
Now, this baptism would empower them and seal them as his people forever. Now, baptism identifies us with him. It is an ordinance which the church participates along with communion that signifies that we identify with him. It is a symbol that our old estate, our standing, as our standing is there, but then it's put to death by immersion. It's this picture, this amazing thing that shows the new creation of Christ. As we come out of the water, we have a new standing. It is what has happened inside of us as we rest and trust upon the finished work of Christ. Paul says it like this in the book of Romans. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? That we were buried, therefore, by him, with him, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in his death, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now that doesn't happen with water. Water cannot regenerate souls. The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, uniting us with Christ and sealing us with him. And we are free to serve Christ and to turn from our sins, to cast them away, like Hebrews says. You know, today we see, we see that we can behold the Lamb. We can see clearly that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He, in fact, is the Son of God. And we can see that because of the witness of John the Baptist, because of the witness of the Gospels. And this means that we should gaze upon the Lamb to see that God, in fact, has come for all. And this is a clear testimony of who he is, that he is the Son of God, and his divinity is backed up. There's a lot of evidence. And we'll get to see more of it as we walk through the Gospel of John. So how do we apply this to today's world? You know, when someone takes you out to breakfast and they say, I, I've got this. You know, they bring out their money or their credit card, right? You know, it's covered. It's covered. You know, the payment has been made upon the food that has been eaten. Breakfast is covered. Breakfast. I know it sounds. I'm talking about food. I apologize. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But our soul is way more weighted, way more important than our bacon and eggs. There's a lot more payment needed, a lot more covering, a covering that is sure and trustworthy, a covering that will hold through this life and through eternity. And that is why coverings matter. And there's no better picture than found in Exodus chapter 12. God gives us the best illustrations, right? Now, Exodus 12, 
the Passover. Exodus 1 through 13, sorry, Exodus 12, 1 through 13, tells us, And the Lord said to Aaron and Moses in the land of Egypt, This, this month shall be for you the beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then his, he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count of the lamb. You, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. And you may take it from the sheep or the goats, or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it in onto the two doorposts and to the lentil of the house which they eat. And they shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Herbs, They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. It is its head with its legs and its inner parts you shall not let you shall let none remain until the morning anything that remains until the morning shall be burned in this manner you shall eat it with your belts fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste it is the lord's for it is the lord's passover for i will pass through the land of egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when you see the blood, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And the tenth plague was coming. And the Lord spoke to Aaron and Moses. Every man, every household needs to do this. To take a lamb. To put blood on the doorposts and the lentils, which is the top beam. Now this action, by doing this, what the Lord says, this action by staying in that home, by eating of the Passover lamb, the destroyer would pass over them. No plague would befall them. Now, this amazing historical event that has been celebrated for since its inception, practically, points us to Jesus. It gives us a picture of ourselves. Do we personally trust in the Lamb? Do we personally trust in Him? Who deals with the death that is coming for all of humanity. Death that will surely knock on all of our doors one day. Now do we hope in him? Is the question. Now first Peter says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to him. To, according to his 
great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, whom by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Now this is a living hope, a living hope that we can trust in. It is an inheritance that is unperishable. It endures forever. It's undefiled. It is pure. It is unfading. It will not lose its brightness it will not lose its luster it will not wear thin for it is unfading and everlasting it is kept by God's power and something kept by God's power is a sure thing so the question before all of man is do we behold this man Do we look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Do we take the sure witness of those that see him, that saw him? And do we personally accept Jesus? Because as we do those things, we're covered by the blood. For he alone takes away the sin of the world. He alone is the sure thing that can cover our debt as we believe in him. Because he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. He alone can bring us to the very dwelling place of God. And he alone does this for he is able. He is the able substitute. There we go. (laughs) Able to cover us. Able to impute There's another one of those cool words, place upon. He imputes, he places upon his righteousness to us. What are you doing? (laughs) He doesn't just take our sins as far as the east is from the west. He places upon his righteousness onto us. It's called what Martin Luther says, the great exchange. He can take us to heaven and present us to God blameless for joy. So what we need to know today is do we personally rest in the Lamb? Do we understand how much the Beloved loves sinners? He's a friend of sinners. And do we see this? Do we see that the whole Trinity actually comes to redeem us? Do we see that in Christ alone, by grace alone, in faith alone, we have redemption? And that we would aim for this, that we would aim to have a high theology, which is our study of God, which is our daily Bible reading, our prayer life, our, you know, cracking up a book or maybe listening to books, you know, taking, taking the time to study it, to take time to have a personal high study of God. 
that it would be the front and center issue of our lives to know what we believe and to know that it's really real, to know that and to have it affect our lives so we would cast away other things because this is the glorious one. You know, C.S. Lewis says it like this in The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with infinite joy when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. I always love Lewis. It's it right on the nail, you know, that we would not be pleased by this world and the things in it, but that we would behold the lamb who comes for all and that we would be his witnesses, for he alone is the son of God, the savior of the world. Now let's uh, close with prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that in Christ we have a new standing and that we can go forward in that, that we can go forward in the purpose and meaning that you have given us a, a new creational mandate to be living sacrifices for you, to be transformed, to not be pressed into a mold, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds Help us, pierce us through with your word. Help us come together in unity. Help us come together by the bonds of peace. Help us comfort one another in our times of, of sorrow. Be with us as we, as we fellowship, as we potluck. Thank you for everything that you have given us, Lord. Thank you for this time to gather, to worship you. And Lord, we just uh, thank you for being our substitute, for dealing with the issues that we were unable and even unwilling to deal with, that you are totally able. And we praise you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>